Hi everyone, David here. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Foresight Climate and Energy. If you like what you hear, I want access to more of our fascinating in-depth content on the energy transition, you need to subscribe. You can try us for 30 days for just 29 euros, which will get you full access to our website and app. We also have a wide range of subscription packages to fit you or your company's needs. Follow the link in the show notes or go to www.foresightdk.com forward slash subscribe to find out more. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of What Matters, the podcast from Foresight Climate and Energy, coming to you from the Euroheat and Power Congress in Turin. My name is David Weston and with me this week is Michaela Holt from Agora Energy Vendor. Hi Michaela, welcome to Turin. Thank you. It's great to be here with you and the panel. And the panel, absolutely. Uh, our thanks to Euroheat and Power for inviting us uh, to Turin for this special recording. Today, we are exploring the synergies that can be unlocked between district heating and cooling networks and industries looking to decarbonize. Many industries still rely on fossil fuels for their heat processes, accounting for around 10% of global carbon dioxide emissions. But around 40% of European industrial heat requires temperatures below 200 degrees Celsius. This means many solutions already exist that can provide low carbon heat, including district heating and cooling. Meanwhile, the ability to recover excess heat from industrial processes, and more recently from the likes of data centers, is opening up new opportunities to help decarbonize district networks by supplying sustainable heat uh, to residential or commercial buildings. Our expert panel to discuss some of these issues and where these synergies lie are Ana Cardoso from the Portuguese energy agency ADENE, uh, Emmanuel Pinger from Turboden, uh, Malgosia Rybak from the Confederation of European Paper Industries, uh, and last but not least, Carlo Simarero from the thermal solar company Abescolon Solar Collector. Thank you all for joining us uh, on What Matters today. Uh, please welcome our guests. Uh, the session uh, is titled Unlocking Synergies Between District Heating and Cooling and Industry Decarbonisation. Anna, maybe I could uh, come to you first. Um, to what extent are industries benefiting from district heating networks today? Is it a common thing or, or is there a lot of capacity that can still be utilised? Yeah, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, actually, there's a lot of waste heat that is not being used. So this is a huge potential that is being unaddressed and should be somehow started to be considered uh, when you do energy plans, when you start talking about district heating. This is something that should be included from the start. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, so how can, the, how can the integration of district heating and cooling systems uh, contribute to the decarbonisation of the industrial sector? Maybe we can start with Nagosia from the paper industry. May I ask a question to the audience of course, first? Yeah. Uh, first of all, do you know why the paper industry is in the room? So if you know why we're here, could you just show your hand up? Okay, that no was hands. a trick question no apparently. <laughs> Uh, so maybe I should explain first what we do and what our challenge is when it sure. comes to decarbonization and heat because I think that this is actually crucial uh, so that we can move forward with the mm. conversation as there are plenty of synergies between the panelists. 
So for the pulp and paper industry, the biggest challenge is the heat decarbonization. 70% of our primary energy goes into the heat production. So basically what you do when you're making paper or packaging for that matter is that you have uh, fibers and water. You start with 10% of fibers, 90% of water, and with heat you want to get rid of water so that the final product is 90% of fibers and 10% of water. This is the part that is energy intensive and this is the part that is bringing us to this conversation today, how to decarbonize that heat. And what we like to say is like, we are energy agnostic in the sense that most of our industry is up to 200 degrees, so what we just mentioned right now. And in practice, you can use either renewable energy, biomass from our processes, which we already do today, which makes us one of the industrial frontrunners when it comes to use of renewable energy, 61% across Europe, which means that some of our installations are already decarbonized, some of them are on their way. We can also rely on biogas, biomethane, or we can electrify our processes. And there are two ways of doing that. One is quite straightforward with electric boilers and heat pumps. The other one is going into breakthrough technologies and direct electrification of the process. And when we talk about weights heat and how to decarbonize heat, I think that First and foremost, we want to make sure that there is no waste heat, that the process is fully efficient. And only then we look at the ways how to make the system more efficient. And we're looking at how to use the waste heat internally and using it externally in district heating, in heating public pools, in selling waste heat to industrial users across the, the other side of the fence. And here is where the different um, interests lie together, when we can make sure that whenever we produce heat, it's not being wasted, but it's being used and it's replaced sometimes fossil fuels, also in district heating. If I may come in, I'd looked up a recent study that Agora has done uh, on um, how a pathway look, uh, out of fossil gas for Europe would look like, and we looked at all the sectors, and I looked it up for pulp because I knew you would be sitting next to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I was surprised how, how much fossil gas is being used in the sector still, and, uh, and I uh, remember that uh, the pulp industry was, together with food and beverage, one of the first ones to really go, and in our modeling, you would have a reduction of almost 90% of fossil gas by 2040. Is that something that shocks you, or no. is that something that is <laughs> that no, you it, it doesn't. you're Maybe discussing? Also, for for give you a little bit of context, what it means a lot of natural gas. So two thirds is uh, renewable energy, and one third is natural gas in our processes. And what it also means is that it really depends on your local situation. In the Nordics, it's going to be less natural gas use. In Spain, Italy, there's going to be more natural gas use. And Yes, it is possible to decarbonize that. And then, yes, you can replace that with uh, solar thermal. You can replace that with biomethane. You can electrify the processes. Uh, some of the companies presenting today in the exhibition, there are heat pump solutions with the compressors mm -hmm. as well that are available. So it doesn't shock me that this can be de uh, decarbonized. Uh, just to wrap up uh, before we, I guess, move on. You said you're mostly be below 200 degrees. Yes, So around, it would yes. call for electrification also a lot, right? 
It depends. It really depends. So, yes, uh, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it depends because solar thermal is not only low yeah. temperature, 90 degrees. Uh, for example, our technology, our solar thermal collector can achieve higher yeah. temperature up to 160 degrees. And after I saw we on can, your website. We can couple with other technology yeah. that uh, can boost up to 200 degrees. Yeah. So, it's yeah. possible, it's fe yeah. feasible and not... And solar thermal is a solution. Solar thermal is not only low temperature. It's the sweet spot to start low temperature. Uh, we have installations already up and running that are providing steam at higher degree, uh, high temperature. Okay. So are you seeing uh, a lot more industries like the paper industry, the lower temperature, coming to you guys and saying, we want to decarbonize our heating processes. What can you do to help with that? We can, uh, first of all, understand where is our, where is our sweet, sweet spot. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I say, 160 degrees to start alone. But alone, we don't solve the problem. We need heat pump, and mm -hmm. the heat pump it does. Without, uh, we, can do, we, we can start the good enough, but the, we need to listen to the customer. The mm -hmm. customer wants 100%. 100% alone, we can do. They can't do. We need to go to, together. Right. And uh, this is uh, how we need to cooperate, mm -hmm. starting to listen to the customer and providing a combined solution. And solar thermal is one, the first step that will not be a regret choice because it's the only one that uh, gives the stability of the price and the energy uh, production for the next 25 years without changing the price. You already now, today, know how much you will, will pay for the next 25 years. Mm. And after the heat pump will support to decrease the decarbonization with a little bit more mm. uh, instability of price because electricity, you don't know how much it will cost in five years, in 10 years. But yeah. they can support to mm. decrease the de decarbonization. May I make an observation? Well, what I, an observation I made during the whole day, which I didn't know, that apparently there's always a discussion electricity versus thermal here, which surprised me a lot because I spend way too much time on hydrogen panels and I can tell you, <laughs> um, you have to get your priorities right. I mean, it, it's, it's district heating versus hydrogen and gas, that is, the, that is the discussion. So I'm so surprised that there is so much emphasis on, I think you want to be too perfect. I mean, you have no idea where the policy priorities at the moment are, I, I mean, it's very nice to find the ideal where exactly, but I think you have to go together and just make the case for district heating, first of all. So I'm really surprised because, frankly, on the other side, there are no nuances there. I mean, you know, they offer, yeah, yeah, we can use the waste heat from hydrogen. You know, mm. that's, that's the level of discussion we are having. Yeah. If I may add another observation, well, first of all, if we focus on industry with the heat requirements below 200 Celsius degree, Main sectors are, of course, pulp and paper, chemical, refinery, petrochemical, food and beverage, including distilleries, um, and so on. Uh, such kind of industries, uh, for sure, are um, reliant on fossil fuels. And uh, as of today, I think uh, all the capacity is made up by um, combined cycle, by means yeah. of gas turbines, steam turbines, or natural gas boilers. Yeah. Um, and for sure, for instance, we as Turboden are OEM for customized large heat pumps, and we can produce up to steam at 200 Celsius degree. Mm. 
However, I must say that some companies, for instance, uh, pulp and paper uh, <laughs> players, uh, in the past uh, have installed combined cycle, and a relevant part of the group company's revenues come from the sale of electricity. Mm -hmm. As a result, the input data for us, the consumption of electricity, depends on the cost of the electricity in the market. Mm. Uh, I think this is a barrier uh, now, okay. because, of course, uh, pulp and paper uh, player now maybe gets more money from the sale of electricity rather than sale of <laughs> paper sometimes. Sometimes, yes. This is true. But that, that only shows that how integrated we are at the end of the day. That uh, it, it's really, well, first of all, we produce pulp and paper, and that's our main business. But it also shows how much potential there still is for our sites to uh, produce more renewable electricity or heat on site, sell it to the grid, or sell it to district heating. And this potential is still, still there. That's for sure. Hmm. So what are the main challenges then facing industries wanting to decarbonize? Obviously, we've spoken about thermal solar and heat pumps, and these technologies are there, and that can come in, especially for low-temperature industries, many of them. What are the barriers? What's stopping them from making those investments? Part of it, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be a public affairs professional if I wouldn't say that it's policy stability. So having this long-term insight of what are the priorities and what this uh, policy framework is going to look like, that's first challenge. Mm. And uh, just to, well, hydrogen, 10 years ago, you probably didn't uh, appear on so many panels talking <laughs> about hydrogen. So that's another... It was shale gas at you, the time. You see? So priorities <laughs> change faster than we change jobs. And... Um, then that's first. Second, last year showed also when it comes to electricity price, energy prices, that's quite unpredictable and still companies struggle, some of them, especially smaller, small, mm. uh, small size companies with the visibility of the price. And that also adds to uncertainty when it comes to operational cost. Um, and having for you, the EU Green Deal and the climate targets is not, is not a fr enough framework for you or...? Um, obviously, it's enough of a framework. It's even too much of a framework sometimes uh, because we, we, with some of the pieces of legislation, we go into nitty-gritty details and micromanagement of how sites need to operate. But there are also opportunities. If we look at the Energy Efficiency Directive and this idea of making sure that you map municipalities mm -hmm. and their heat needs, this is something that is certainly useful. We also like that a lot. Yes. So that, uh, that also gives you a possibility to see where the uh, untapped potential is for, for some of the sites. Um, certainly, that shows the way to go. As an industry, we are committed to climate neutrality by 2050. And, um, but still, on a cer certain level, there is going too much into details telling the sites how to operate. And it is true that sometimes it is difficult to come across with a, to get across a message that is more nuanced, like in our industry, when it's really localized. And it depends on where you are and what your infrastructure around is. And when I say it depends whether you electrify, it depends on the infrastructure as well and how developed the grid is. It, if we are going to connect to district heating, maybe there is no connection to district heating. Maybe there is no district heating at all operating like we just discussed before in, in Portugal. Um, so there is 
there is still a lot of work to be done. When it comes to barriers, I think that uh, in these last four years, everything uh, happened. We have, pande have a pandemic, we have <laughs> war, we have uh, energy crisis, maybe stop. But and the thing that didn't change is the approach of the supplier and the customer to move fast. Yes, yes. we have a long-term target with short-term goals. It means that uh, we want to decommunize 2030, 2040, but still we are looking the bonus of next year. Mm. And this doesn't help to, to move forward. So time is the barrier. Right. Uh, we, as a supplier, a customer, as an uh, end user, we need to change the methodology to approach mm. this uh, decarbonization. They, the customer can't uh, stay one year with the offer on the table that, uh, with the target price that they want to decide and to move for. Mm. We can't uh, take six months to make a, a feasibility study. Uh, we need to be faster, both mm. in both sides. Okay. So for me, the, the technology are, are ready, many. Hydrogen is not ready, but many others are ready. But we need to, to change the, the sure. approach. And even if all these kind of big things happen in the world, we didn't change our approach. So what we need to wait ET to come to the world, yeah. the Earth, to change <laughs> or, or what. But we need to change the approach. Right. Yeah, I fully copy what Carlo was uh, saying. Actually, maybe last year there was this sense of urgency but related to the cost of the electricity rather than the yeah. environmental uh, aspects, right? Yeah. There are some technological uh, solutions that are ready, ready to go, viable. Uh, so why we should not implement it right now? Mm. I fully agree. So what you were saying is like, we think short-term, our customers think short-term, and that has to change. So what would we need then? And then we were talking before quickly. Um, I have a feeling that, and it, you mentioned it already, this um, having municipalities to start heat planning, which is now was adopted in one of the EU provisions. So this will become law soon in every municipality. Um, I was thinking we should quickly, quickly uh, move on to an integrated energy planning because only heating isn't enough. And that was very clear also in the previous session on balancing, right? That you need to integrate the electricity, the, the gas, the heating, uh, and the district heating. So um, if I may, I would like to hear from you if you would agree that that's really the missing piece because I was wondering when I read our title, okay, where do these advantages, liaisons, where do they meet on which app? You know, you have ENSOEs planning electricity, you have ENSOG gas, so first of all, not so much focus on, a, on, a, on the local level, which is, I think, one minus, but so... How do they get together and what needs to be done that that's not just a one-off in, you know, the case studies we see today, but that it actually happens everywhere? Mm -hmm. uh, I guess it's, it's for me. At least yeah. you should also <laughs> reply, yeah? Yeah, so, yeah, that's an important pl part. We need planning. Uh, and here I'm from the Portuguese Energy Agency, but I have another at, which is the Embers Project. So this European-funded project uh, intended to construct a tool, uh, a platform, to match heat donors with excess heat with um, sinks, which are the, the benefit, 
the ones that need to eat, such as buildings, industrial parks. So here we try to at least somehow plan where the excess heat could go. And this platform gives you the technical solutions to implement, as well as several business cases. So tools like this, not only Ember's platform, but other similar tools, can be used firstly as a, a feasibility study. So the first step to, to actually know if it's interesting to construct mm -hmm a new DHC network in that area. Mm -hmm. So is there enough excess seats? Uh, the surroundings, are there buildings, schools? So does it make sense? Uh, and the other, of course, is to make a strategic analysis. So uh, our case study, Adent's case study, we are not an industry, we are an energy agency, but we manage lots of data. So we have data from the National Energy Performance Certificates, the APCs for, for buildings, which were our sinks. And we also manage the uh, intensive industry uh, program. So industries need to report us their annual consumptions and to establish mm -hmm. uh, reduction targets. So this is mandatory by the Portuguese law, mm -hmm. but comes from uh, European uh, legislation. So we do these two databases and crossing it for an area. Uh, in our case, it was uh, a very region. You don't know, it's like in the north part of the, of the country and it's a very industrialized area. So we crossed these two databases, the, the sinks and the sources, so the excess heat and the needs. And it was possible to perform um, a quick uh, strategic analysis plan to see if in that area, which we consider it six sources, so six industries, six clusters of industries, actually there are more than six industries there, and more than 120 sinks, which do not represent buildings, they represent like quarters, so it's, it's actually a large area, mm -hmm. to check if it could make sense to establish there uh, a new DHC network. Of course, in Portugal, our concern is not uh, eating homes, most of the time it's cooling homes, yeah. So it's a bit different from the northern European countries, but we still have, during the winter, we still feel cold at home. So our homes are not prepared for the winter. Even though it's not a very harsh winter, they are not actually prepared. So, and we talk about in Portugal about energy poverty, which is something that is also being mentioned in European uh, summit. So this is an issue for us. So this type of tools uh, and planning could also help to tackle not only the question of energy poverty, to help people to eat their homes, but also to, to cool their, their homes with excessitos, with something that is not being mm -hmm. used for, for nothing. So it's, it's a win-win situation even, because industry, industries could get a return from this because they would sell the the, the access to the to the grid. So this is only one example as um, to illustrate that planning is really important and tools and this type of tool, so the, the modeling system is very focused to the electricity. So, but I think the modeling system should also be focused on it and exit if we want to decarbonize and, and go forward with, with this. And hope to have answered your your question. Yeah. 
are we going to see, we're talking about planning, so does that fall into kind of urban planning as well? Are we going to see industrial clusters springing up where there's maybe a high temperature uh, industrial sector, steel or cement, next to a paper plant perhaps, where you can use their waste heat in a sort of integrated heat network? Would that be maybe boosted with a heat pump or some additional uh, thermal solar or something like that? Could we see those sort of business models sprouting up? I'm sure that it already exists. Mm. Uh, because in our industry, what is also beautiful about it is there are plenty business models. So we not only sell heat, we can also buy heat. Mm. Uh, what we see emerging more and more is uh, heat as a service as well. What I can tell is certainly that we are selling heat to industrial size. So in Belgium, we have an example of a paper mill that is selling waste heat to a nearby Volvo plant when they use the heat for the heating the offices and the painting booths as right. well. And the regulation and the market's in place for that to happen and it's a fair distribution of funds and things like that? Uh, it really depends. I mean, for, for uh, the solutions such as uh, heat as a service, mm -hmm. I think that it's, in some member states it's still uncharted waters uh, and it's still requires a learning curve uh, to be able to implement those models. But uh, yes, I mean, the selling waste heat is not something innovative at all. No. And if I may add, it is also, it is also starting to exist also between industries and this activity network. For instance, uh, we as Turboden, we have started up in the last weeks uh, a six megawatt uh, thermal large heat pumps in a steel-making factory in Brescia, mm -hmm. where our headquarters is, where we are uh, basically exploiting uh, um, cooling water of an electric arc furnace in the mill to produce uh, pressurized water at 120 Celsius degree required by the nearby district network operated by the multi-utility in Brescia, which is HOA. Uh, as a result, we are already, uh, from a technical, technological standpoint, it is already possible, and also from a planning standpoint, uh, is already possible. Mm. Uh, of course, uh, it is just an, an example, so we can do more in these kind uh, of uh, applications and implementations. In China, there are already these heating networks that are providing uh, industry, so sometimes when uh, we are offering uh, to our industrial customer our mm -hmm. thermal solution, they say, ah, can you compete with this heating? Uh, they have already the best solution. but. The important part that the district in China are also powered by solar thermal. So there they have uh, how solar thermal can uh, support a district network. And all the infrastructure and everything uh, is already in place there. Right. It's a model to follow for us. But they didn't have a space. They had a lot of space. So <laughs> and basically, they start from scratch. Sure. sure. And maybe another business model that uh, does not, not exist is, a, let's say, an opposite uh, configuration in a sense that maybe if we talk about large heat pumps, a large heat pump needs, uh, yes or yes, a, uh, an heat source, yes. low temperature, medium temperature heat source, which is not straightforward always to have it in, uh, in the mill. And uh, of course, also the COP, the efficiency, is higher uh, when the heat source temperature is higher, sure. meaning that. Uh, a potential synergy between district heating networks and industry is when maybe the district heating provides the water, hot water, 
to, the, uh, to an industry as a need source for a large heat pump to then at the end deliver eventually steam. Of course, uh, the supply line may be too expensive for an industrial player, but maybe the return line could be affordable for industries and actu actually may also uh, improve the performances of the production plant of, an, of a utility. Mm. This, this could be, let's say, an innovative or a new business model, no? When we're setting up new district heating networks, obviously most of the people here will be keen to see more district heating. Can operators, district heater operators, come with a business plan, with an industry, and with a, uh, heat pumps or solar, uh, thermal solar, and say, look, we can help pay for this? Because obviously you want to give cheaper heat to maybe the poorer households through these district heating networks. Can some of that cost be put forward by industry and... Um, engineering companies like yourselves to help pay for it and make it so it's cheaper for the people that may be using that waste heat or the re recycled heat in the heating network? Does that make sense? <laughs> well, I guess you will still need a lot of upfront cash to build a district heating sure. network, right? Um, yes. And I have to say, I mean, in a previous job, I was in the European Commission and I was, uh, it, it always struck me just how blind we were in EU policy making to the regulatory and the financial needs of the local level. And I think district heating is just for me the prime example. Massive investment needs, but they are not really discussed in the EU. And uh, um, I don't think, for example, you know, there was this big recovery plan where Italy got a lot of money from. I'm, I'm not sure there's actually one single district heating or district heating industry, also industry apart from a bit of hydrogen was very absent in these plants. Huh? Mm. Um, I'm not sure where it is something. So um, how could we change that, 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 uh, that these investment needs and uh, these policy changes are a bit more visible? Or maybe are they changing now with all the discussion with the Net Zero Industry Act, which all of a sudden has put new, new issues on the agenda? I would be curious to hear you, you too, from the supplier, your, your views. As today, we, in, in, the, in the opening session, we, say, we see how subsidies are very important. We, there was a, the Danish example uh. that we had a few subsidies Few few years ago in Dan in Denmark, and for solar therma, and they build uh, I don't remember an exact number of distributing for solar therma, powered by solar therma. Yeah. And now the subsidies shift a little bit for heat pump, and now there is a boom of heat pump in Denmark. Uh -huh. In Italy, we have a Conto Thermico that has a cap of installation, but we are receiving some inquiry from distributing network for uh, for this cap of. Uh, uh, square meter of solar therma. So, oh, yeah. just a little bit of subsidies uh, give some uh, uh, sp sparkling to the, to, to the market. So, if we use the, the, the plan, yeah. uh, European recovery plan, and put some money for this heating, there will be, uh, again, uh, a change. Exactly. Yeah. So we need the same. Uh, Denmark was a great example. We need just to follow example. Why we are not following the example? We need to create a new wheel. <laughs> the wheel is already created. It was working. Yeah. Similar to what it has been done for electricity, for instance, like feeding tariff, feeding premium, uh, tax relief, maybe also. So it could be 
an option to boost those kind of developments, maybe. But that would still not fund if, for example, like in Portugal, you would have to build a new district grid. I, I understood that's, that's the big cost issue, right? Who pays for that then? Yeah, it, I mean, at least in Portugal, there's no funding for that. Exactly. So the, it falls the recuperation in plan does yeah. not cover those type of investments. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Me again. Please do rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. It really helps us out, means we can make more shows like this, and means more people can find us. Also, a quick reminder to subscribe to Foresight Climate and Energy so you don't miss out on any of our other podcasts or long-form journalism. Head to the link in the show notes or go to www.foresightdk.com forward slash subscribe. Are district heating systems uh, scalable as well? Uh, and can that help um, incorporate more housings, more industries as well? Is that flexibility in these systems better than, say, other heating systems that perhaps are less flexible? Good question. Yeah. Yeah. That was actually the session before right. <laughs> that you missed, I missed because that. you were with the communities. <laughs> so that's, but that's a, that's a potential benefit then? Yeah, yeah. again, the Danish example. Mm. They started with uh, solar thermal, big uh, solar thermal field, with pit storage, so seasonal storage, mm. and they make one, two, three, and they stop because they stop the subsidies. But in China, in China, they have a huge solar thermal field to power different uh, district mm. uh, place, and it's working. Mm. And it's, when I'm talking just solar thermal, but after there are all, all other uh, waste uh, mm. that you can recover the waste, uh, heat pump sometimes, mm. so Everything is scalable. If uh, right. there are the conditions, we have the technology. It's the approach. Mm. And maybe some help from... A little bit of help from the... From the, from the yes, policy maker. Mm. Um, still, what I don't see happening is that the waste heat that we have in the power and industry sector, which is, by the way, enormous. Huh? I read somewhere... If we were to collect the waste heat that comes from these two sectors, we would be able to replace all fossil gas in buildings in Europe. That's the amount of waste that is not used. So something substantially must be missing because, I mean, it was always dumb not to use it, but I guess mm. after the war it's even... But still, is this happening and then why not? I mean, why is there all this waste? and nothing is done with it. I think that there are two ways of looking at it at the end of the day. And going back to the, the, the first, one of the first things that I mentioned, because it is true from one side that there is a lot of waste heat that is not being used. But the biggest problem, I think, is that there is still waste heat. And for our industry, is the, the first goal is to make sure that there's no waste heat, which makes the processes mm -hmm. more efficient. And from this perspective, I think that really the risking the investments and changing your installation, this is key. Because what, when we're talking about changing your installation from old and inefficient to something more efficient or totally new, you're talking about closing your mill for a few months. And then even if you install something new, like a new mm -hmm. heat pump, let's say, then you 
you still need to have a few months to make sure that everything is tweaked up to the standard and you're being close and you're losing revenue for a few months. And this is why we need the risking, for example, for the, okay. those new investments. Then it is crucial to have innovation funding, but also innovation funding that is close to the industry. So whatever that is being developed is easy to implement by the industry. And here we also need time. And yes, we don't have time, we don't have but time. at the same time, we need time. And I think <laughs> yeah. that the biggest example, like the best example that I have is with our industry and the heat pump industry, with the European Heat Pump Association, when we, were, we needed time to come up with a solution when on both sides we were challenged. So when the heat pump industry was talking to our industry, it's like, oh, we have this amazing solution. Why do you need to steam at this pressure or this temperature? And our guys are like, we need this and you don't have a solution, so we're going to use something else. Mm -hmm. And it took time and it took conversation to challenge ourselves and finding a solution. And now we have a working group when we talk about compressors that help using, like help us to use the heat pumps that are on the market. Using the compressor, you can reach the, um, the, the levels of, of uh, pressure that you need. And also we need time for the technology to develop because it is true that the technology is there. But also another example to show how time flies is that um, a few years ago, one of our paper mills in France, they installed the biggest, at the time, the biggest solar thermal installation in France, industrial. But now we're talking about installations that are three, four times bigger, that I'm reminded every single time that I bring up this example. So <laughs> we, we, don't, we don't have time, but we need time at the same time. <laughs> but that's not very comforting, I have to say. It, it sounds incredibly complex and difficult. Yes, because the problem that we have at, at hand is complex and it's difficult to, to discuss. I mean, the, all the business models that we're talking here about, it's, first of all, they exist, but there's also this learning gap that you need to pass. So it's incredible that we have an opportunity here to discuss them and, and bring those ideas, but also to make sure that the industry and people at the mills or people at the, in the middle of nowhere, they are aware of those mm -hmm. ideas. Um, this is important too. If I may comment, actually, I took part at that event in Bruxelles last ah, yes. January. Oh, good. Uh, Confederation <laughs> of European Paper Industry together with the European um, Heat Pump Association. Um, I don't fully agree with the fact that the, uh, we need time. I mean, uh, actually, as Turboden, we are um, executing a project in a pulp and paper uh, industry in Northern Europe where basically the uh, heat source available is a low temperature one, witnessing mm -hmm. the fact that pulp and paper industry is uh, way efficient. So we have uh, an heat source available at, let's say, 20 Celsius degree, and the need uh, is to provide a superheated steam at 170 Celsius degree. So the temperature lift is huge. However, however, we designed a solution, a configuration made up of a large heat pump plus a steam compressor, um, it mean, meaning that the, the technological solution exists. Uh, coming back to my previous point, uh, um, it, I think it cannot be replicated everywhere right now because it is not convenient for the, for, uh, for the players, for the industrial players. Because if they are selling electricity, not even and they need uh, six, uh, seven megawatt electric as input, uh, mm. they, 
the electricity cost a lot because it is uh, worth of the value of the electricity in the market other than the electricity they are generating, they are producing. I mean, I have to say, I am a bit shocked that we are in 2022 and you say, yeah, we need a working group and we need to look what these heat pumps are. Oh, you were not there in the room. <laughs> I mean, now it sounds like super easy, but well, well, I mean, this is how those things are done. Like well, even we're a bit for, late even, in the process, even no? This, like, no. Like, really, if, if I... If you were to tell three years ago our guys on both sides that we're going to have that event and we're going to design those solutions, they would be like, uh, good for you, crazy idea. <laughs> so it, it, it really, I mean, I, I think that we're in a room when we are full of bright ideas and we know what the possibilities are. But it, it also takes a momentum to build. And when we talk about the pulp and paper industry, I would disagree slightly that the challenge is that we are selling electricity. That's not the challenge. The challenge mm. is that there are no two identical paper mills that are out there in Europe. That's true. And then for every single one of them, you need to design a new solution. And you, there is nothing that you can take off the shelf from IKEA and put in the paper mill and install and everything runs smoothly. And, and I think that the, you have the same experience as well. That is not even about geography. It's really at the industrial side. However, uh, sorry, if to conclude this, uh, this <laughs> point. Actually, our mission is to design a customized solution mm. depending on the project. So in any case, a different mill with similar condition, mm. we will start from scratch with the design of the unit, uh, of the optimal configuration from a... Efficient standpoint, but uh, efficiency standpoint, but also economic standpoint. Uh, at the end of the day, the, the, the customer, the client, the pulp and paper uh, player will uh, run a business, a business plan. The payback time is maybe beyond uh, seven years, and they will not do the investment. And I agree with them. But the point is, what is the final goal? I mean, to decarbonize the sector or to make money out of an investment? So it's not, uh, um, I mean, uh, uh, worth it to say we want to decarbonize the sector if they are just doing an investment to, that has to be repaid in, uh, let's say, traditional number of years. Mm. Right? I think those kind of inve investments should uh, look beyond. Should, uh, But there are also different methods to calculate payback time. So it, it, what I'm trying to say is that It is great that we have an opportunity to talk about decarbonization. It is great that we have an opportunity to exchange the ideas, exchange the experiences. But it takes more than this room to move forward. And it takes more than one technology to decarbonize any industry. That's for sure. And what I want to support our point is, thanks to all that they have in 2020, a group that was looking at this, because we work a lot on food and beverage. It's far away to have group discussion. Oh, I remember, I remember after so, the crisis, thanks the that they have brewers, what do we do without the gas? We're lost. Yes, but yeah. the good things coming to the first point about uh, how we can reduce the, the, the waste, what we are seeing that after that uh, us as a supplier, we are now telling to the food and beverage the Uh, that is mm. not existing a silver bullet because each plant for each different uh, brewery uh, they need uh, a mix of technology yeah. and solar thermal by the way is the no regret 
choice to go. But what is happening is that they understood that they need to change the methodology, the approach. Exactly. So now everybody is, uh, not everybody, 95% of the plants of food and beverage are powered by boilers. Mm. Producing steam, eight yeah. bars that they never use. So what, what they are doing now for the greenfield, they are starting to evolve us to say, okay, we will run uh, with pressurized water and lower temperature. And there you start to re reduce your uh, heat load and maybe the waste. So the change of methodology of, of how you engineer your future plant is coming. But what do you do about your 200 plants that you are still producing? And you would need some, time, <laughs> some type of uh, technical support. Yes, and we, are there, and we are here. But in these four years of where everything happened, they understood that their energy managers were too few to understand all yeah. these things that they still cannot. is not. Yeah. And they start to outsource this, uh, uh, this problem of heating. They were very pleased to put PV for 10 years. Yeah, we are green, we are green, we are green. And the tank of LPG was entering the doors to, to power the boiler. But now they realize that it is 50%, no, in 70%. percent. 70%. Exactly. And don't have the resource to, to, to study. They don't have the resource to implement. And now they are knocking it to our doors. Uh, and we need to, for each plant, put together everything in a, in a different way for mm. each plant. And they need to make decision. Two years. Is that not increasing costs? If you have to do a new design every time you're trying to do a new product, every time you want to, there's different paper mills have a different, is that not increasing costs, that complexity? Give is there me a 10 plants, I will reduce the cost. I want the 10 plants, I yes. need 10 factory. But if you don't give one, I can't reduce uh, the cost. Sure. PV costs nothing now, why? Because they, thanks to the subsidy, they start, and after they uh, produce endless sure. of volume. But we are in the, in the phase. That still, that still requires some sort of standardization. We are standardized, we need to have volumes. Mm. Right. In standard, the technology, I'm, I'm talking about oh, me, sure. I need just to, to, instead to buy 100 pipes, I need to buy 1 million pipes. With 1 million pipes, there is no story. Sure. But you will get this volume, no? If I look at the EU policy, which is what I know best uh, here on the panel, I mean, we will have the quotas for industry for renewables, we will have... Uh, for heating, we will uh, we have even sub, uh, you know incentives. Ah, now for the first time, good news: uh, a member state can account heat pump towards the renewables heating target. Wasn't possible before in 2021, but it will be now. Uh, plus, we have the Net Zero Industry Act, where I recall, and I, now that I hear you, I think we actually were not wrong in our statement. We said there should be, because you know, the Net Zero Industry Act was a bit the response to the Inflation Re Reduction Act in the US, well, where we were woken up on certain things. Uh, and I actually start to get from this discussion that the point that we were making in Agora, there should be much more focus on industry decarbonization, industry level heat pumps, and these kind of things. Uh, and not, you know, in general, that, that that would be worth putting money and attention to. Mm -hmm. You would agree, probably, right? Uh, that that would be the way to go. 
this is in discussion at the moment in Brussels, so let's see where it goes. Yes. You don't you, agree, no? <laughs> <laughs> it's not that I don't agree. I just, uh, when we looked at the Net Zero Industry Act, we, we see a gap there in the approach. It's, uh, the, this act doesn't really create the market and the outlet for all the technologies. So what we're, you're seeing there is faster permitting for the production sites, yeah. but it's not faster permitting for the industrial sites to implement those technologies on site. And what you're seeing there is the support for the production of the mm -hmm. heat pumps of PVs, but you don't see the support so much for the deployment and creating the market among the end users. And this is something what we're missing is this whole value chain approach. There's nothing wrong in producing more heat pumps PVs because we need them. Mm -hmm. But what we're missing is a faster permitting process for the industrial sites where we see that, for, ex for example, um, last year, we did a study looking into what is the potential of the industrial sites in the power plant paper industry to produce re more renewable electricity and more renewable heat, because we already do that. We already produce the renewable heat with, uh, uh, with waste and residues from our processes. There are places that already build uh, solar thermal plants. There are places where you produce biogas from waste and residues from the, from the process to a certain extent. There are places that want to be uh, electricity efficient self-sufficient with the PVs on their rooftops. Mm. But in the Net Zero Industry Act, mm. we don't see support for those kind of projects. Mm. It sounds like a very complicated subject, very complicated um, projects that to implement these technologies uh, and for industries to create synergies with district heating. Is it just simpler for industry to tap into the natural gas network and cheaper and easier to do that at this point, just currently? For a very long time, yes. in yes. many places, yeah. yes. So how do we incentivize industries and technology providers? How do we incentivize them to get away from that gap and to make the difficult step and to confront the complexities? What we, how can we incentivize that? Well, Agora proposed a phase-out date for fossil gas below 500 degrees by 2035, for example. That would give you investment certainty, right? What does it mean in practice? <laughs> <laughs> what does it mean in practice? What does it mean in practice? Yes, what does it, like this target, what does it mean in practice? Well, it means in practice that um, you, you, have a, you have a clear endpoint, like we've done in other sectors, for, for fossil technologies, and you have to switch. What is a fossil technology? Well, it's a trick question, no? But yeah. what, I, what I'm trying to get with this question is, for example, if you have an industrial site that switched from old and efficient system to new CHP system, that it's not going to be phased out in five years. It's going to stay for more than that. And most probably it's going to stay after 2035. And then... Just because you're running on natural gas today, it doesn't mean that it's fossil technology because we can switch to oh, biogas yeah. and it, they're all hydrogen ready, right? Mm -hmm. if on hydrogen, it's funny. It's funny conversation when it comes to our industry because again, we're talking about lower heat temperatures and where we see. There is maybe niche within our niche. <laughs> uh, there is one production process for the tissue where, where we see that there would be 
uh, interest in hydrogen. But why would you burn hydrogen if you can electrify your process? Yeah, that's a good question. Electrification of your process, it's far more efficient than going to hydrogen mm. and from hydrogen to burning or the electricity again. Coming back to your question, what is fossil cogeneration for us would be fossil too. And according to our analysis, uh, uh, a lot of them will reach end of life, lifetime also quite soon. So they would have to be faced down and not replaced. Yes, but if you have a production site that have access to biogas or biomethane, Mm, that's all. Well, we are devi deviating I, here, yeah, yeah, <laughs> but also not necessarily to cut a long story uh, short. I, I don't agree about that. It's complicated. That uh, is uh, maybe we are talking a lot, but mm. when I, I'm going to uh, a customer of food and beverage, like brewery, we make in the last year two installation on, on mm. breweries, one in Italy, one in in, uh, in Greece. They have the space. We uh, work with companies that uh, can uh, fix the financing, the permission, the permits like mm -hmm. Newit, Kyoterm that are here. Mm -hmm. If you go with them that know their job, how to make the uh, permits and how to uh, to make a project happen, you give the technology and the complication, the most complicated things about all the bureaucracy that you have in all the other technologies. Uh, because uh, you need permits for anything, also for the PV, for example. Yeah. Uh, this is bureaucracy. This is something that you need to do. Yeah. The most in, uh, complicated thing is uh, the integration valve between your solar system and the uh, steam supply. This is more, the most complicated. That is a valve. So it's not complicated. So when it comes to implementation, it's simple. It's not complicated. Mm. And we are, we are reducing the, the, the natural gas, uh, the, no, the fossil gas, because it's fossil. It's not natural. Yeah. <laughs> we are reducing the fossil gas. And it's, it's, it's simple. Yeah. What, what was difficult was to get the decision. Yeah. One year decision with the same offer. This is difficult. <laughs> but when they say yes, <laughs> we know how to do. Yeah. So what made the, these breweries in Italy and Greece? Um, Greece and Italy. What yes. made them make? What what was the what was the tipping point for them? And when they said, "Right, we're going to get involved with um, the time." Sure. If you look uh, the ESG report of Casper, mm -hmm. uh, published one month ago, uh, they are still having target, long-term target, 2030, 50 uh, percent of the carbonization. Mm -hmm. right. They have uh, 170 plants around the world. They do anything about the heat. Mm -hmm. They need to report to their stakeholder that they did something. And Absolico was on page 10 of 173 pages. <laughs> because they need to show. And they need to act. Mm. And they are still too slow. Okay. Yeah, if I may yeah, add, I'm, I'm a bit aside of this conversation because I, I do not represent industry, neither the, the providers. But me, me neither. But what I can say is I think that the most important is to have a clear path and a clear yeah. legislation from European legislation, from national targets. Mm. We need where to go. So I think the, the first step 
they should have a clear European legislation that can be converted into national legislation and have a clear plan to decarbonize, to introduce something new in industry, to do whatever. But the first step must be to have clear targets mm -hmm. and clear objectives, whether European or, or national. And would that help with the level of bureaucracy that comes along with it? I think so, because at, uh, the first thing is when you have to do something, you'll do it. Sure. Whether you want it or not, you have to do it. <laughs> so uh, I think for sure it will, it will help, yeah. Uh, are there any questions uh, from our excellent audience to our panelists at all? Just one over, oh, there's two, yeah. perfect. There's uh, just a microphone coming to you uh, in a moment. Okay. Oh, hang on, there you go, oh, thank you. Okay, a little provocative then, but if you have those offers with solar thermal and heat pumps, is the paper industry willing to pay one cent extra for the energy if they get fossil free? So I'm, I'm finishing a master's program, MBA, and, and we were asked what is the one thing that we remember from that program, and it's the answer, it's the pants. And it really depends. I cannot say for the entire industry and for every single plant if they are willing to do so or they are not willing to do so. What I am certain of is that we want to reach climate neutrality by 2050 and there is a pathway that leads there. And that includes access to affordable clean energy. And this is something that we need and this is something that we repeat as a mantra on every single panel with every single politician. And just on... On yes. the flip side of that, if things like uh, a carbon price comes in, the European emissions trading system increases up to 100 euros per megawatt hour, is that sort of financial incentive going to help? Help is a strong word. Help is a strong word. <laughs> it changes things for sure. sure. And, and what we, building on what Carlos said before, we, we've seen everything in the last two years with skyrocketing energy prices and the rising price of carbon at the speed that no one really predicted. Um, and that, that also changes your perspective on things. Uh, question there. Hi, it's Vika Clear from Tigi. We also do renewable heat uh, generation and storage for industrial uh, players. I think the big question is, when you say affordable, you mean something completely different from district heating. Because district heating would get financing from the government or the local authority, and then they look at a 20-year horizon. And when we go to industry, they look at even the seven years return on investment that you mentioned is it's too long. Is long. Yes. We frequently hear three years. Yeah. You don't do energy generation at three years return on investment. Yeah. And I think this is what calls for more legislation uh, interference. Uh, we frequently <laughs> can do four or five years return on investment, but legislation could generate the kind of financing that is provided to cities from governments for us to propose to industry. And then all of a sudden, affordability looks different because I can propose heat as a service which is now difficult for me to finance because these systems are not as big as cities. It's a one million dollar system. It's hard for me to finance mm -hmm. and I think legislation can help us. You know, sometimes it's a one million, sometimes it's ten million, but it's not a hundred million. 
like banks are happy to finance. If we can get industry to be pushed to doing something mm. and the players, the help to be able to finance and uh, lower the return on investment that's inherent into their offering, I think we can move faster. And, and I know it doesn't, like, like, it doesn't sound like a question, but <laughs> and, and one last, one last uh, I'll stop here. <laughs> All right, thanks. Did you want to come back yes, on Yes, I wanted to come back on this. Uh, maybe it's rude to, to answer a question with a question, but do you know where those three years are coming from? Where, where it's three, not four, not two and a half, but it's three. I'm not sure. Frequently, industry will not have all the information that you may have as a very big uh, 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 industry. And I will be told things like, who knows what the available technology will be three years from now or five years from now. And then if I want to switch, I can't because now I committed to something that is 10 or 15 years forward. I'm not sure what these three years, I think maybe the it comes- three years are coming from the legislation. Not in many places that I've been in, to. Uh, in, in my industry that is exposed to the ETS, that is uh, benefiting in many places from indirect carbon cost compensation, we can have that conversation online, offline, okay. <laughs> but I can assure you it comes from the legislation, the three years. But the I think it goes back to the extra one cent. Uh, the question of affordability is how long into the future do you look? And is it financed or is it just mm-hmm. all the investment coming back from how much money you will save from the gas that you don't burn exactly. within three years? And that's a very tough the point here is approximately a third of all the energy in the world is industrial and two-thirds of that is heat or even 70, 75%. So that's like 25% of all of the world's energy is industrial heat. And it's not supported enough through legislations because some of yep. the points that I made and I think it can be helped. Yep. Uh, Thank you. Carlo. I think that we need to also look on other one around. Again, it comes to the volume. We can get one million to SEPI, to Carlsberg, but not if we look one factory. We need to look 10. Give me 10. I can give five cents cheaper than what we are paying now, and I can go to the bank. And this is our business Mm. model. We are going to the multinational and say, we work with you, we start with one, you say okay, and after we go to 100. Are you ready? Because we are ready. We have production line to put everywhere. Mm. Absolutely. How about this bonus? We can tomorrow. Sadly, time is up uh, <laughs> on this session. We, please do continue the conversation at the end. Before we go, uh, one very quick thing, one question for all of you, very quick answer if you can. Uh, what are the next steps then uh, that need to be taken to accelerate the decarbonisation of industry and uh, integration with district, uh, district heating systems? I think it is uh, necessary to create new business model, new interactions, uh, um, uh, wasted from industry to district heating or vice versa. Localization, production localization, customer close to us and we can provide, and volume. And there we can beat fossil gas. Yeah, for me, it's a clear strategy and know where to go, so that's it. Implementation. Implementation of legislation and implementation of technologies. 
clear strategy and what our what uh, what the audience make industry do certain things to have a business case i would say absolutely uh thank you so much that's all we have time for please give a hand to our fantastic panel <laughs> that's all we have time for this week my thanks to Anna, uh, Carlo, Magolcia, Emanuela, and of course Michaela. If you have any thoughts or questions about anything we've said on today's podcast, you can tweet the show at WhatMattersPod or email us show at whatmatterspodcast.com. Thank you all so much for listening and see you all again soon. <laughs>